Hi, welcome to Literaturely, a podcast about teaching literature. I'm Margaret Malk. And I'm Paige Wallace. And we're back on a rainy day to talk about course websites. Yeah. Course might be a misnomer. I think we're thinking about like course organization mm-hmm. in digital. Digitally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look at that. Because we're not just going to talk about like building our own website, but we'll also talk a little bit about like using the platforms at your institution. So yeah. So like how do we organize our courses in a user-friendly way for students? And I know that I'm more comfortable with some sides of this conversation than others. Full disclosure, my HTML skills peaked in 11th grade with MySpace and those customizations, adding my songs. And did you have to learn coding in middle school or high school? Yeah, we did coding. Yeah, we did coding as well, which comes up in useful ways like every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I think about how there's a tendency to think of our students as digital natives who know the ins and outs of technology and know how it all works because they grew up with it. And I feel like they know so much less, like they're not taught about how any of these are built. Yeah. They're not taught about how they're working. They and, and their ideas of technology really intrigue me sometimes. Like if I ask them, how many of you watch TV? They say like, no one raises their hand. But if I ask how many of you watch friends, like 80%. I'm like, well, and they're like, well, I watch Netflix. I don't watch TV. I watch Hulu. Not, not. Yeah. TV. Yeah. And like, if I ask them what websites they go on, they don't, they don't go on any websites. But then if I ask if they go on Buzzfeed, they're like, oh yeah. I'm like, well, Buzzfeed is a website. <laughs> no, it's an app. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, so I'm just interested in like, how do you navigate your understanding of digital organization, their understanding of digital organization and communication, and how that comes together to hopefully be a more productive class resource. Okay. Also on a little bit of a tangent, I think that like in a freshman, you know how like um, they take like a freshman class, like what it means to be a college student, right? One of those classes. And I think most high schools do that, like to have like some sort kind of like starting high school, like intro class or whatever, in some class somewhere, not mine, not yours, <laughs> some class, someone needs to talk to them about how to save files and build folders. Because I have so many students who will just <laughs> save everything that they have on their desktop, no real name to it. And then they lose it. They can't find it. And then they come to me with their computer and they're like, uh, I've got this on here. And like, I don't, I'm not making fun of them. I'm only slightly making fun of them. Just like the tiniest little bit. Well, because you have to make fun of it in order to deal with the anxiety yourself. Yeah, because I, when they I look at their up, desktop. I look at their desktop and I'm like, what is this? Of yeah. course you can't find anything. Everyone's like, named untitled. Yeah. And so like, I do tell them, like when we use Google folders, I give them very specific instructions about how to hide it, how to title documents in their Google folder and stuff. And it's like purposeful. Like I'm kind of like parenting them a little. I'm like, hopefully you'll take this information and put it to good use on those atrocious computers you have right now <laughs> that are so disorganized that you can't find anything. I remember the first time a student showed me their computer to in an effort to find a, a file and the chaos. Yeah. And you're like, what? Like, what? <laughs> it's probably how 
my teachers felt when I was like in elementary school though. And I opened up my backpack to try and to find paper the paper fell out. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, same old story, different <laughs> context. <laughs> yeah. Different platform. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how, how are we handling this? I guess, you know, we can start with the basics of like the learning management systems, uh, university, like institutional platforms that we use. Um, so what platform does your school use? We use Blackboard. You know, it's fine. Blackboard is like updated a lot, I think. So full context, use Blackboard in grad school, like at FSU. And then we switched to Canvas and I really liked Canvas. But now that I've switched back to Blackboard, I feel like it's more user-friendly on my end. And maybe I'm just better at like building a mo- more coherent Blackboard site than I was mm. for. So, so yeah, we use Blackboard. What do you guys use? We use Folio, which also might be called D2L. I wish I knew more because it seems like those names are used interchangeably on the platform, which sort of confuses me, but I don't love it. Sorry, Folio, you are not getting an endorsement. We're not getting like a podcast sponsorship here. Uh, (laughs) Not getting the folio big bucks, but I do not love it. It is not user-friendly, but also it doesn't organize things in an intuitive way. So like I'll have my whole site organized, but if my students decide to just go straight to like Dropbox, they're organized by the way I uploaded the, the time that I uploaded them not in the way that I have them organized. So if my students decide to follow a different organizational route at any point, it can be chaos. And so it really requires that they are kind of following instructions and keeping up with my schedule, which during COVID has been not always the case. And which is particularly challenging since during COVID, it's been much more digital. So, and there's just been more glitches for me than than I feel like I've had in the past with um, Blackboard or or Canvas, Mm -hmm. where if I download stuff from one, from one section to upload it to another, certain things just won't upload correctly. Oh man. And so you have to double check every single file, which kind of defeats the purpose of being able to copies. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's just issues where, you know, pop quizzes, which I don't use really, but they just won't work or like whatever, just things will glitch. And it is much more collaborative in that with my students. I rely on them to tell me this isn't working. Right. Thank you. Are you required to use Interfolio? Like, could you, because Canvas, like you can have an instructor account, I think for free or or you could in the past. I'd have to check that now. But to be honest, I, I think so. I tested the waters because as we'll talk about later, I use Wix when I can, because I like to have full control over my, my courses because I'm a control freak. And so when I was first hired, I tested the waters a little bit to like, is this okay? And the response I got was not fully encouraging. And I was like, I'm not going to push it because I am still using Wix for certain components of this. And I just don't want to be flat out told no. Yeah. <laughs> so I think maybe we should start like kind of back up a little and talk about how we maybe generally set up our classes. Okay. Like on either like a mix of those 
institutional platforms or those learning systems or learning management systems, and then whatever we use additionally, like an overview. Margaret, will you start since you were talking about Interfolio? So we know that part. And then you use Wix. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So typically I have really relied on Wix predominantly, and I use the learning management system for grades Okay, because you know, for privacy, for security, I would not upload grades to anything outside my institution's Mm -hmm. system. So that's like where their feedback goes, um, their grades. And so I have like my grade book in there, which, and then I like to build a course website with all of my um, readings, my assignments, my notes, like if I have any sort of PowerPoint or Prezi or whatever presentation, any sort of supplementary materials, that all gets uploaded. And I like that because I get full control over exactly how it appears, exactly how students can access it. And also I know that it's my copyright to a different extent. I think this will vary from institution to institution, but we're seeing increasingly that lesson plans that you're creating in your school's learning management system might not fully belong to you. And again, I'm a control freak. (laughs) I want full control over my lessons. And also I like, you know, if you're moving around, especially as an early career scholar, I just like that having it on my own platform I always have access to it. Right. So I'm always go- able to go back and be like, oh, okay, that's how I did that assignment. Those were the materials I have. I don't have to worry about losing access, making sure I download everything before I move to my next position or anything like that. But the other thing I like is I require my students to build Wix sites. And so on my course page, there's a section that's just for all the student pages, like our student hub and, you know, students doing discussion board posts, students doing those like learning management system assignments, they see it as busy work and they also see it as private. Like, oh, well, this is all like hidden behind the university veil. No one's ever going to see this. Filling the websites it feels more public and the stakes for them feel a little bit higher and they're not graded harshly or anything, but they also feel it's more professional that, Oh, I'm learning a skill. So the, just the level of work they put into it all is, is higher. And then they're looking at each other's sites and assessing them. And it's really fun to hear them before class starts. Like, Oh my gosh, your website looks really good. How did you do that? Um, and there's just a different level of investment then because they get to keep it too. There's more ownership for them than on the learning management system. So I just feel like overall, everyone feels that greater sense of control and it shows. Yeah, I think that's a really solid point that that they have that ownership over it and they can use it again. And, and when I've had students build Wix sites of their own, I've talked to them about the fact that they could revamp their website to be a sort of like professional website, right? Mm -hmm. And so that it can have value to them outside of the class and the assignments. But I think it's really cool that you're kind of talking us through how you both build the course website um, to hold on to your materials, to, you know, be able to have like complete control over how things look and the layout and all of that. But also that students are doing something for an assignment that you that you've done right and so they're using the platform and then building their own website and i think that that's cool because they can kind of see you know what does what works on the class website for me and how can i make some 
targeted decisions about what I'll do in my assignment, like in building my own portfolio or web page and what I would avoid. Yeah. And it's nice because you get that feedback and it's not as frustrating because when students are like, when they complain about like the learning management system for your institution, it's sometimes frustrating because you, you have no control over it. And you're like, I'm sorry. Like it is what it is. Like, I know it doesn't work that way for me too. Or I was having problems with that. But if it's something you have created, you're like, okay, good to know. Like, let me see if I can play around with that. I don't know. Just like feeling your hands are tied versus, oh, I can fix that. Yeah, sure. Definitely. So one con I think I would talk about with Wix um, is because I, so at FSU, I did the Wix course website. And I did it for two semesters at USC Sumter, but I haven't done it as of late because it's not all of my students have access to a home computer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They don't have a laptop. They're working from their phones, um, stuff like that. And I will say that Blackboard has not the greatest like mobile app, but it is manageable. Yeah. And Wix doesn't work as well. I don't think Wix works as well um, when thinking about like students using like their phones to access your class. And it definitely was a barrier for students when they were building their own websites. So so I miss that assignment. I love that assignment, Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I don't think it works great right now. Although there's talk of like a future more expansive computer lab and computer availability on campus. And so then that's something that I might revisit. And that is something if you are going to use an alternative to your institution's learning management system, then you have to build that learning curve into your course. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like you were saying, like not all students have digital have had digital access and they're not all comfortable with websites or, or with laptops. If your students all have laptops, you still can't assume that they are comfortable with laptops mm-hmm. or comfortable with like just picking up this skill. So in the past, like for my literature classes, if I have a Wix component, like that first week, we're learning how to do it. And my assignments also reflect that. I do an annotation assignment in the beginning And, um, one of the goals is, you know, close reading skills, like all that, but the other goal is them getting more comfortable with Wix because we're annotating through Wix. Um, so that way they learn the tools, they learn how to do it. They're working in groups so they can pick up each other's strengths, weaknesses, all of that. I do not build in that same sort of approach when just dealing with Folio, Canvas, Blackboard. I do have more of an assumption there you're using it for your other courses. And maybe that's not fair of me. Yeah. Well, so that, I guess that brings me to thinking about standardization of like how you're using your learning management system. So last spring I did this class offered by our center for teaching excellence. Mm-hmm. And um, it was an online, like teaching online. But what I really got from that class more than anything else was a better model for how to organize my information on Blackboard Mm -hmm. and how to do that in a way that was sort of the standard being pushed by the Center for Teaching Excellence and most likely the way that they were going to see it in other classes. Because that's the biggest thing that Mm -hmm. I get from my students is that their Blackboard sites all look different. Mm. And I think that that was a concern that I didn't worry about as much pre-COVID because students always had FaceTime in class, right? Whereas now I think that we have to be a little bit more aware 
of like the learning curve, you know, like, like okay. you're saying in terms of using this technology and that they're not always getting FaceTime in, even if they're getting FaceTime in your class, they're not getting it in other classes and it can be hard to navigate. And we do have some assumptions about like their abilities to do it. And those assumptions, like, I don't think that they're unfair. Sometimes I think that students can absolutely take more agency when it comes to technology. And, you know, the thing that I tell them a lot is like, if you can't find something, click around until you find, right? Like, like mm-hmm. do that process of, I need to figure this out versus I need someone to tell me how to do it. But, and so it's like, you know, I'd like for them to take more agency, you know, when they don't know how to do something, but it's not helpful for, for me to kind of like, continuously harp on that and be like, well, you just have to figure it out. There it has to be a mix, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, so how do you yeah. organize your sites now to kind of have that mix? So in Blackboard, you can organize like the taskbar, the toolbar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really try to parse that down to just the basics. So like I take out like a lot of the tools that are already there that I'm not using. And I have really sort of minimized like what I'm using um, in 101 Right now I'm using discussion boards, but in, in my, in my 102 class, I'm not doing discussion boards because they're using Google drive and they each have a folder that they were assigned at the beginning of class and they're putting all their work in there. And so like we talked about with the Wix, it's more public. Their classmates can really like navigate to and from like every single assignment that they they've done. Um, But so I'm going to pull up my course and kind of just give you an overview um okay so on my toolbar I have at the very top the announcements and then like subheaders and then a getting started like title like subtitle and then under that I have a welcome start here page that sort of um gives all of the here's what the class is here's how you navigate it here's what each tab so like I have a paragraph there that's like navigating this course right where can I find all the information how does communication work stuff like that and then the next steps for them right so once you've read the welcome start here tab um, here's a list of list of what you should do next and it takes them to like course information syllabus COVID FAQs the course schedule the about your instructor and then module one. And so then under that are all of those things, right? So COVID about your instructor syllabus and schedule. And then I have a student resources tab. And then I have another subdivider that starts with a subtitle that's course content. And then all the major assignments and the weekly modules are there. And so everything's organized into those module folders that are dated. And the modules are also, and this is the thing that I do really differently since taking that that class last spring is that each module looks exactly the same in the sense of organization. So it starts with like a module overview with my objectives and then like a to-do list. And Mm -hmm. then it gives um, like course readings, course videos from class, and then any course materials in the sense of like instructional materials are in a folder at the bottom. So like everything PowerPoint wise or things that we do in class, they're in that folder by day there. So it's broken down like week, like, so you're 16 weeks. And then within those week folders, you have like your day by day folders and with all the Yeah, essentially. So like in the, in that weekly folder, I have 
like it starts with that overview and then it gives the, it says like the complete readings and then videos or clips from class. And then at the very bottom is a course instructional materials folder. Mm. And that materials folder has dated like, you know, this is the PowerPoint we did on this day. This is the PowerPoint we did on this day. So like what's in that folder is a resource for them. They don't always go to it because they don't always need it. Right. It's stuff in class or whatever. Um, But everything else under that module is like, here are the readings you need to do. Here are the videos that, you know, we either watched in class or if you weren't in class, you have to watch. Or um, sometimes those are assigned for outside of class, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep it like the page uniform in the sense that every every week looks exactly the same. The The kind of information you're looking for is always in the same spot. And I think that helps. Mm-hmm. them be able to better navigate. My biggest problem right now is once they get behind, they want me to tell them exactly what module to find such and such in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, right? Uh, off the top of my head, you have to go and look and see, right? Like if you're yeah. three weeks behind. It's I in one of those three weeks, which I you should be yeah. looking at all three weeks. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so that, that can be a little bit of a, frustrating question um and I get why they ask it right um but I'm like but it's no, when I, you're asked it 20 times by 20 different people yeah and I'm like no I don't know I don't know where that which module that assignment is in you have to go and find it but I think that's also a good way to encourage them to take that initiative because you have set it up that repetition is key um I, I like that you you say that like you keep that very similar formatting. It's very consistent because repetition helps ensure anticipation. If you know the pattern, you know, what comes next, or you know how to go back into it. And so I think that makes it easier for, you know, or at least it should uh, for students to take that initiative and get that agency, because there's not going to be a curveball. It's not just yeah. everything's uploaded in one place and go find it. It's, you know, yeah, the pattern. And, and, I, it. and I do feel sympathy for them when they talk about like, the fact that their Blackboard looks different for every class. Mm-hmm. And that can be really overwhelming. And I think we don't think about it as from that perspective as much as we should because they have six classes. And if everyone looks different and everyone's navigated differently, that's hard, I think. Mm-hmm. So I don't build an entirely from scratch course website anymore, but I do use supplementary things. Like I still, I use Google Drive a lot for workshop and stuff because Blackboard is just not great for that. And now- I, in my 102 with their projects, I'm having them upload everything into a Google Drive folder so that they can go and look at each other's materials and they upload all their research articles there as well. And luckily a lot of them have used Google Classroom. Mm -hmm. So they, there's less of a learning curve there. I do think we should also talk about like supplementary technology, right? Because I still have them I do some housekeeping stuff with my Wix blog where I'll post blogs and have them read them that are like, how do I organize myself at the beginning of the semester? Stuff like that. And so I use Wix for that. But then we've both used Twitter before. I think maybe we should talk about that a little bit. So you're not using Twitter this semester. I'm not using Twitter this semester. I'm not either. And and I would say like COVID, the understatement of the year, but COVID has led to some tech burnout. Yep. It's made things weird. And so I do think under different circumstances, hopefully if there's a return to normalcy, like or some you know, version of normalcy. Yeah. I just know my students had to rely on technology so 
much that Twitter last semester was becoming a bigger fight than it needed to be. And they never were openly hostile about it or, or conflict, but it was just, they were so. It was just burning. Yeah. And that Twitter to them is a social media platform. So it doesn't seem that important. And so they just were like, oh, well, that doesn't matter. So if if I'm burnt out on stuff, like I'm not going to do the Twitter at all. And I'm, I'm putting the cart ahead of the horse here. You and I use Twitter as a discussion board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm speaking for both of us, but jump in, clarify what I'm saying, that I have found that the actual discussion boards are very performative, mm-hmm. where it's like, I noticed that in the readings, the author said this. I too noticed that, <laughs> like, that they're doing it to do it. And I don't fault them for that because it, the discussion board is just not a organic form of conversation. It's not a normal or a, a usual circumstance for writing. It is, it's meant to be performative. That you're it's performing. So hard. That you're yeah. Yeah. It's so hard and, to, to develop discussion boards, questions that can even anticipate that performativity. And it's just, they're not really responding to each other unless it's in a a sort of false way because it's not geared towards conversations and responses, but Twitter is, and it's shorter. So there's not that same pressure to fluff up the answers or, or anything else. And so in general, when I've used Twitter in the past, it's been much more conversational and, and a way for students to actually talk to each other about the materials, evolve their ideas, test things out in a sort of low stakes environment. And it was really, really useful for that sort of at home class discussions, whether you're teaching online or you want your students to do homework responses, but not just um, be thinking in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And it was just really, really useful. Also really useful for students asking questions because they could post the questions on Twitter and um, it popped up in everyone's timeline. So they could answer each other's questions about like, when's that due? What do we have to do for blank? Um, it wasn't always just emails to me. Yeah. So I used to require a certain amount of tweets per week and I'd we'd have um, homework prompts, in-class prompts, and a lot of them were just like scaffolding ass- assignments for our larger projects. It was really, really, really useful. But like I said, in the past semester or so, they don't want to be looking at a screen as much. They want to not be using technology the same way. And Twitter just didn't seem as formal Yeah, and it was affecting their grades and and everything. And so I'm doing discussion boards this semester. I will say the quantity of work has gone up in terms of they have, they're turning in the assignments more regularly. And so it fixed that problem but the quality has gone down because it is that performance and they're just talking to themselves and not each other. Yeah. So I want to talk through something that I've been doing differently with the, all of this in mind. So we have, we use Microsoft teams um, mm-hmm. on my campus and I've used that like as the meeting platform for students versus like Blackboard Collaborate. Um, and also it has the chat feature. And so you can have, Um, You can build a class chat and it's not formalized, but I think that I will build it into grade, like, like participation grade at some point, maybe, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it's feeling like more of the kind of conversation um, and interaction that 
I had in pre-COVID Twitter mm-hmm. with students. Um, and I get, I, I like that Twitter, I think, allowed me to sort of be a moderator in ways, but to take a backseat role and let students have mm-hmm. real conversations. And I think that's what you're getting at with the discussion yeah. board is that just doesn't happen on the, on the discussion boards. At least it hasn't for me. And I think it's a lot harder to facilitate if it is happening. Whereas in a Teams chat, it feels much more like that role of like kind of moderating and and popping up when I need to, but really letting them have conversation. And some of that conversation starts with like housekeeping stuff, like due dates and and that kind of thing. Um, but it also morphs to, I'm struggling with the literature research matrix. What are you guys doing? What was this category? Um, and then they begin to like direct each other to like okay look yeah. at this example or and and so it's it's not formalized in the sense of them responding to certain prompts or threads or whatever um but I think that that's something that I might do in the future right um and it would start with is like simply like we start the chat at the beginning of the semester and you do like your intro there right like and I did that with Twitter where mm-hmm. on the first day they share their favorite like meme or the meme that most describes them or something like that, you know? And that's the cool thing about Twitter, I think is, was that it could capture both, like we're having real conversations in this space, but we're also just creating community here. And I don't think the discussion boards do that in the same way. Yeah, because you can say like, oh, you have to respond to at least one other student and they'll do it, but they just respond to the first one they see. The other nice thing with Twitter is I would build in assignments like, okay, you have to share one question you have about this assignment, but then you also have to try to answer someone else's question. And if you can't like retweet their question to show that this is a question many people have or something, or like I'd have assignments about like, you have to give, you know, at least two classmates, um, encouragement or positive, like feedback or whatever, Mm -hmm. because of what you were talking about building that community, because if you're going to be building skills, you need to trust your community to, you know, not let you fall and laugh while you fall, yeah. but also like to support your ideas and be comfortable talking about, you know, topics. I'll say to also help that community in my syllabus, um, I would have a civility clause for um, the communications that happen online and say they're just like the uh, conversations that happen in the classroom just because we're online doesn't mean civility gets thrown out the window yeah um, and what the expectations for with that which sometimes if you're using something like twitter or other social media you need to remind students that anything they like might come up in the timeline yep accounts they follow might be seen and if so, again, if you're going to use social media, you sh- might want to consider requiring your students to create an account specifically for your class. Yes. And, and we talked about that, that I, I required, you know, an account specifically for our class. So that way their personal lives did not affect. It was like, I don't want to judge you on your personal life. You don't want me to judge you on your personal life. And we did not specifically talk about this, but like, don't follow porn. I don't need to see that. Yeah. Which unfortunately I think is the thing that a lot of us experience, even when they made their own accounts and you'd have to mm-hmm. have that awkward conversation of like, Hey, we can see 
the likes that you have um make sure they're sticking to the class like I tell them any um don't say anything you don't want your grandmother to hear that you said or liked or whatever else but it's a good lesson in, I think in terms of professionalization so that way our students aren't the subject of headlines about you know political interns liking things on twitter or whatever else they've learned it already with us yeah life skills which I guess go, goes back to Google because you you said you were using Google Files and I was really interested in this. You don't have the same problem, you know, someone liking a bot's material, but in terms of like uploading materials, all of that, how do you handle the students uploading things in terms of maintaining that organization? Because as we talked about at the very beginning, they don't necessarily have that skill set. And so how do you handle that? So, um, okay. So at the beginning of everything, I have like on the documents, I have a instructions because um, like when they're doing peer review and I put the peer review file in the Google folder, right? So they need to make a copy of it and then edit that copy. And I have sort of gotten to the point of, uh, especially after the first couple peer reviews, of just being a little bit mm, callous because I just go in and delete it if they do it wrong Mm -hmm. because it's so annoying. You know, it says at the top, like, hey, make a copy, name it just like this. Do not edit this document. And I'll Mm -hmm. still like have students that, that do it. And I'm like, delete because then no one else, right? Yeah, yeah. that everybody's working for from. Mm -hmm. And so honestly, once I've deleted one of their peer reviews, they're so much more careful. And I also, and and this is a thing where I refuse to look for their stuff in other folders. Mm -hmm. So I say like, you know, if you uploaded it and you put it in the wrong spot, you have to find it. You have to take the time to find it and get it in the right spot. There's nothing I can do. And a little bit of that, like tough love, which is you know, not my philosophy in general, but is about this because this is easy, right? This is something that once you're aware of it, you can do it. Um, and, it's so, and it's important that you're providing those step-by-step instructions in the beginning. You're not like tossing them in the deep end and saying swim or drown. Right. You're saying here, just follow the directions. And right. if they choose not to, it's like, well. Yes. And so yeah. like they do get the hang of it very quickly, I think. And I do go in and check those folders a lot. Like, so like right now they're working on they did their first essay. They're doing this research project and it starts with a like a, a series of steps that aren't leading to an essay, which is different than normal. But they had to do a series of research questions or like connected research questions and then source materials for those research questions. They uploaded those into their folder. And then they did a literature matrix that sort of broke down each of their sources that had to be uploaded to their folder. And then they did a creative conversation where they're putting all of those sources into a imagined conversation. And then they do a works cited page. And so all of that is going into each of their folders and they've done a series of like peer review things during these steps. Um, And so they go into their partner's folder and they upload their peer review to the partner's folder. And so it does require like that I'm going in and checking behind them. And so I will nudge them into being more organized, you know, like I realized early on that a lot of them didn't make a folder for their research. They just put input it. And I said, Hey, but you know what? Like 
why don't you make a folder? Because then when I go in to get, look at stuff, I can find stuff easier when your partners go in to look at it. And so we have those conversations where I'm like, be more organized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I don't know if that answered your question, Margaret. Um, no, no, it did. But I also set up their folders all to start with, right? Name them, gave them the link to them, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, you give them all the tools. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, And then I give them, I give them lots of instruction, like, you know, how to give them instruction on how to upload files to the Google Drive. And then I still have students that say, well, I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, okay, but you have the instructions, but let's say you don't, let's say you can't find them, whatever, just Google it, Google it. And so I try to, I don't know, manage like understanding that a lot of them just don't have exposure to this and that they're 18, 19 years old, and there's a certain level of carelessness that's, you know, standard. Yeah. And um, to not be too snippy about it. So I feel like we've talked about how, why we would use a learning management system versus an alternative, how we might organize those, how we handle our students using them. But I guess if you could create your ideal digital classroom, what would you do? I don't know what I would do. Mm-hmm. I know what I need in an ideal digital classroom, okay. like genuine interaction. Mm. And so everything that I would do would be sort of geared towards how to make that happen. And I think it's like a 50-50 of like just the luck that you get with the group of students that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I had a work day on Friday and one of my sections, almost every student showed up. It was an optional day and they worked and they had questions and they had feedback for each other. Um, and they're just a really good group, but it's 50% the luck you have of who, who you have. And then 50% the scaffolding, I think, and the buy-in from them versus like how much you can organize and scaffold and make it cohesive for them. And so my ideal digital classroom would have like no bullshit assignments <laughs> you know like yeah, and yeah. no bullshit responses to real assignments so it would be this mutual understanding that I am never giving you busy work I'm always asking you to do something that I feel like has not that I feel like that I have researched and learned and built on to be useful to you so please 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 do the work and give me the like standard of, you know, I'm doing the best and not just trying to to like check a box. So So something you said made me think about that, that like the genuine interaction. And I think talking to you today has made me realize that to get that genuine interaction, you need that like organization. So from the outset, you need to have your online course or your online course materials, whatever, so organized that your students kind of know what to expect. So that way the interactions can be chaotic because genuine conversation is chaotic. It's disorganized. So to allow that to happen, you need to be really structured. My folio this semester is organized somewhat similarly to yours, I think, though I really like how you have that welcome. I need to incorporate that in the future. Mine has like my folder with our course policy schedules, all of that. I have my course, um, 
the projects folder where it's all of our projects with the um, rubrics, examples, resources. I have a mental health folder um, for my students near the top and like um, also a folder on how to contact me, like all the different ways of instruction yeah. to do so. And then mine is broken down week by week. So I have my 16 weeks under each one, it's the days and then all of the materials in it for each one. And it mirrors what we do in class. But like you were saying, if a student misses, they know, okay, well, I know what I missed. I know where to go. Um, but right now my interactions are still really organized in terms of those discussion board posts, in terms of the group projects or group assignments in class at home, all of that because of COVID. And I think mm -hmm. that's what's been frustrating for me this semester. It's necessary because we still have students in and out, quarantined, mm -hmm. um, sick, maybe they need to work from home, whatever else. And so it's sort of managing in the time of COVID for now, but ideally it's like you have all of your, your own information organized so that way students know where to find things, what to expect, it looks familiar because that familiarity is going to lead to that comfort. Um, like, oh, I know what to expect. So I'm not as nervous. Um, I can dive into this and then, you know, you can explode on Twitter and Google Docs, right. Teams, whatever else, um, or just in the classroom that like they know how to access all the materials. And so when they come to class, it wasn't like the, well, I didn't know right which you'll always have but yes and then my last question is in, when creating that organization have there been any resources for you that have been particularly useful you mentioned that class you did through your your institution the center for teaching mm -hmm. excellence but anything else you've been using like the center for teaching excellence does have a usc has a solid amount of resources available and so We'll say that some of those resources, like you can go to their webpage to their teaching resources and you, you have like some, you know, resources on technology and syllabus templates and the online teaching faculty toolbox, stuff like that. And they've really added a lot to this since COVID. And I think that's commendable, but I'm not sure like a lot of what I got worth was from workshops and I don't know if those are open to the public or not, but if I, th I think that, you know, our center is not the only one doing that. And so yeah. you have instructional designers or course designers that are working for your center for teaching excellence or take advantage of that. Right. So for us, we can have like a one-on-one -on -one with a instructional designer, like that's their mm -hmm. title and they'll go through your blackboard with you and kind of talk about like, you know, some key areas that it could be improved on and why, and that can be like, I know that can be overwhelming to have someone sit down and say like, okay, here's how it could be better, but it's really useful. Um, yeah. Have that, that as an option. Yeah. Then that's something that, you, that I would definitely recommend doing, but you can do that again in a non-formalized way, right? Like mm -hmm. with friends who are also teaching and think about it in the sense of like, it works for us. Like it, it na it's easily navigatable for us because we designed it. But what about when someone on the outside takes a look at it. And we're used to getting peer feedback on mm -hmm. things we write or the, our research, but not always about like our teaching. Yeah, so I think that's probably the biggest resources is, is ask your friends that are teaching or your colleagues that 
you know, how do you organize your Blackboard? Can I see it? Would you add me as a, you know, a viewer or whatever? And, you know, kind of glean from it, like, oh, they're doing this really well. This makes sense. And I'm not doing that. So I'm going to change. Yeah. And like that, it's okay to build this over time. And like your, your whatever online systems you're using, you're not going to make the perfect one in the first round or even the second, whatever. I mean, my Blackboard back when I first started was like (laughs) course library, syllabus, (laughs) the end. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'd also say though, because if you are someone who maybe doesn't have the option of a center for teaching of excellence, or you're not in an institution, but you're trying to improve these skills. I know that like, um, right when COVID began and we were all working from home, <laughs> no one knew what to do. I did take a, um, class through edx or edx, um, org, and it was offered, um, through the Arizona State University called Foundations for Excellence in Teaching Online. And I really, it was really helpful. I really liked it. It's a self-paced course. It's kind of available all the time. It's free. And, but um, edX has other free courses. They're not the only ones that there's, there's online resources. That's just one that I've used that, and I liked, but it's not one size fits all. But you know, if you don't have access at the moment to institutional resources, there's other things online yeah. that are available and can potentially be helpful. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, Margaret, what's your dream course? So my dream course is a little bit of a preview for an episode we're going to have later this season. Ooh, so, but so thinking about modernism, and how for a while modernism was defined as a interwar movement, like between World War I and World War II, which led to it being defined in very masculine terms, that it's a response to war. And there's a lot of conversations both, uh, both by modernists themselves, scholars of modernism, um, from not currently, but previous conversations about how um, you know, men are really the only ones who can write about wars because they're the only ones fighting in them, which we can look at what's happening in the world right now and, and see like, no, <laughs> um, and it wasn't true in World War One or World War II either. Um, women might not always be soldiers, but they're on the front lines voluntarily, not voluntarily, etc. Right. And um, I would like to teach a class on women in war and look at um, the ways women write about war. Um, So it might be a women in lit class. It might be too niche for that, but it would be female authors looking at war. And so I'm thinking um, writers like, um, um, obviously an obvious one would be Rebecca West, Return of the Soldier, which, Mm -hmm not on the front lines for that, but also Storm Jameson writing about um, seeing the aftermath of war. Um, Kay Boyle talking about conflicts. You could even get Gertrude Stein talking about her experiences as an ambulance driver Um, and so on and so forth. And then you can really build that out. And I think you might 
consider like I I don't think this would have to be a modernist course that's just what inspired this Mm -hmm. it could be 20th century women writers right around the globe um like war yeah as you're saying yeah yeah and how do you know what how is war gendered at times um what are the different approaches perspectives techniques that are being used and, and to kind of challenge this idea that war is men's business. Yeah. So, yeah. What about yeah, you? That, that's really interesting, Margaret. Um, and I'm excited for that later episode. I Me too. Yeah. Okay. So I I think I've said this before, so I'm gonna, I can't remember, but I'm cheating a little. Um, but only because... That's how we know it really is a dream course. Yeah. You're still dreaming so, about it. Because I'm going to start planning it soon in the... May Mester, I'm going to teach um, a section of Comp 101, and I'm going to pair it with, so not, it's not my dream literature course, but mm-hmm. I'm going to pair it with Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, and I go chapter by chapter, or this is my plan is to go chapter by chapter and kind of build my units out um, mm-hmm. and thinking about what this novel tells us about writing and the impact on life and, you know, writing that's connected to the building of civilizations and cultures and societies and and perspective and, and all of those big things that we think about when, we, when we're trying to talk our students through how this writing class is more than just grammar. And so, so, th- so recording this episode, I've gotten really excited about... Uh, um, designing that class and both like res- excited and nervous because I have established blackboard sites for the courses mm-hmm. this course already and now I'm gonna have to start over from scratch and that's always a process but it's fun right it's at least fun for the first like month that you're doing it <laughs> um, and so but I think that's something that we should have talked about is like the amount of time that it takes to build a course um, um and so in that online, so kind of going on a tangent, but in that online workshop that I did, they talked about how like you, your standard should be like three months. Now, I don't know that that's realistic, right? Because most of us cannot, we don't have three months. And that would ask us like a lot of times to work like the entirety of the summer or like who has say, that amount I need of a time. salary for those three months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, but hearing that I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. Like three months is absolutely the ideal. Um, it's not what's attainable for most of us but kind of knowing that or ending with that also takes off a lot of pressure because like you're you can't have a perfect like site especially when you're building them between semesters and stuff Mm -hmm. and yeah so you're kind of it's a process I think of learning it semester by semester yeah always a process yeah so All right. Well, then I guess we should, you know, go because we probably have like a course website to build or something in that never ending process. Yeah. So see you at the next stage of the process. (laughs) All right, Margaret. Bye.